The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome, Disability Law Show. Good to have you along. John Scholes here and partner Sam Firu, Tamark and LLP, the most positively reviewed disability law firm in the land. Tamar Agopian here once again answering all the questions and really doing all the heavy lifting in 2022 like she did all of 2021. So some things change, some things stay the same. But what has changed is the landscape out there. And I know there's tons of things to cover on the show as there is every week. Tamar, email right away. Here's how you get a hold of help at disabilityrights.ca help at disabilityrights.ca another form for you to answer or at least ask questions have them answered absolutely free and anonymously how about that mydisabilityquestions.com you go there searchable database which means your question possibly has been asked and answered in the past recent past check it out if not leave it there and it will get answered by one of tomorrow's crew mydisabilityquestions.com and any other time you want a lengthy more of a uh, private conversation with Tamar, member of her team, very capable, willing to uh, sit and talk and and get your bearings. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. But let's get into it, pal. What uh, what have you got off the hop before we get into some emails? Thanks, John. Yes, and it, it's you know the landscape has changed, and I think mm. you know, but to some extent, it's more of the same. And so I want to start off our show talking about an interesting question that came through. Uh, with our disabilityquestions.com and it's Great. related to COVID to some extent uh, and really the need to isolate. So this individual writes to us and says, you know, I've got some symptoms. Obviously I can't get any PCR testing right now. Uh, you know, it's just not available to the general public. This individual does treatment uh, supported by their disability insurer with an occupational therapist and they're concerned that the insurance company is going to say that they are not compliant because they need to isolate because they have COVID symptoms. And of course, you know, the, the rapid tests are negative, but it's, you know, never reliable. You know, what do I do in a situation like this? Very topical. And I think a good way for us to start out our show. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to get across to, to this you know, obviously to this individual who's written out to us, but others who might be listening who are thinking, gosh, you know, I'm on disability. If I have to isolate and can't get my treatment, maybe the treatment providers have shut down, John. I mean, that, that's happening yeah, quite yeah. a bit as well. So it's it's been inconsistent in terms of accessing treatment. What's that going to do with my disability claim? And the key here really is to be just upfront with the adjuster claims person, whoever it is that you're dealing with at the insurance company, and let them know the situation. Okay, and and it's reasonable. This is a very reasonable situation. You shouldn't have to be put in a situation where you've got to be uh, in the public when you've got COVID symptoms, obviously. Uh, And it's also reasonable to take some cautions around, you know, being out there depending on if, for example, you're immune compromised, just as an example. And so there are things that get wrapped into this. And the way that it ties to disability insurance really at the end of the day relates to what does the disability policy say about the terms and conditions around uh, what you need to do to continue to get your disability benefit. So the policies do talk about, look, you need to be getting quote unquote appropriate treatment for the disability for which you are getting benefits for. And if you are not getting such treatment, the insurance company can choose to cut off your claim or if you're being non-compliant, that is another basis for the insurance company to say, look, you're not being compliant with our 
rehabilitation efforts or whatever it is that we've put in place. And so if you don't do it, we're not going to continue paying the benefit. Right. And so generally that's the risk, obviously. And of course, we don't want to see anyone's claim getting cut off. But if you've been reasonable and you've been upfront with your claims person and it, you're not doing anything intentional to, to impede or prevent from whatever rehab efforts happening or whatever it is that you need for your recovery, then I think that if the insurance company makes the unwise decision to cut off the claim, then I really do want people to contact us right away. Because in, in situations like this, it would not be reasonable. I can tell you that I don't expect a court would look upon fondly to the insurance company who would do it in a situation like this. Yes, we are on uncharted territories. Yes, we've considered this pandemic as novel on all grounds, legal, otherwise, life, everything and every aspect. But, you know, put your reasonable hat on and think, okay, look, if you can't get a test to eliminate or evaluate that you don't have COVID, but, and, and they're telling you don't go out there, right? The government's saying don't go out there if you don't need to, then I think it's reasonable to have that dialogue with your insurance company so that you're both on the same page and you can ensure that your disability benefits are not going to be compromised in a situation like that. Do you think in this current environment, uh, there's an insurance, take this scenario for a perfect example, is there any insurance company that would even try that in this current environment? I mean, they're going to get their, their hands slapped for sure. You're right, John. They, they I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past an insurance company <laughs> to do anything, you know, in these circumstances. Um, you know, have I seen, you know, a floodgate of these kinds of non-compliance de denials? No, I have not, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, but having said that, you know, uh, do will I see that, you know, in, in sort of a three to four month window, you know, when they've sort of sent that that shut off the, the, the bow, you know, the, the letter saying, well, look, we, we don't think this is compliant. And if this continues, we're going to cut off your claim. There may be those kinds of threats, right? And I don't think those are appropriate either, because I think yeah. it puts the, the disability claimant who's already struggling with their health, who's already trying to manage uh, not only their health, but also getting treatment out there right now with everything that's going on in a really tough spot. And so I think, you know, there is a certainly a mutual obligation, right? We talk about this all the time. Yes, yep. the disability claimant has the obligation to be cooperative and upfront with the insurance company and ensure that they're doing all that they can to recover. But that obligation certainly goes both ways. And I think it's it's actually more incumbent on the insurance company and the adjuster and whoever it is that you're dealing with at the insurer, even the rehab people, to treat you with respect and to understand and be cooperative with you as well with your mm -hmm. individual circumstances. And so when there could be a potential breakdown and when the insurance company is taking the unwise decision to perhaps be more harsh, more critical, uh, more aggressive in their adjudication, typically there's either more going on or they're really that was the path they were on to begin with. So this is just right. another log on their fire uh, for them to try and cut off your claim prematurely regardless. Um, either way, I don't think it plays out well for the insurance company, whichever way a situation like that were to go. And always, when you're in these uh, sort of uh, troubles you want to reach out to tomorrow, don't waste any time. Times can sometimes be of the essence, and to do so, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. I want to move on tomorrow for the first uh, email of the day coming in just shortly from Dennis. says, uh, hey, tomorrow I, uh, I had cancer several years back and was on LTD. I was told that since I couldn't go back to work and they could not accommodate me, I would have to apply for CPP disability. I did, and now I receive the same amount, but from both sources. Since watching the TV show, I was wondering if this is uh, if this is even accurate. I don't get anything more. Why do I have to apply? 
really good question, Dennis. And we mm-hmm. talk about CPP disability yep. quite a bit on the show. And so I, I'm going to take this opportunity to really delve into this. Uh, so CPP disability it is a government funded disability program. It is available to individuals who have a severe and prolonged disability. So typically, if your disability is persisting beyond at least a year, uh, sometimes longer than that, with the support of, a, of your doctor or multiple doctors, you can make this application to the government, Service Canada, and apply for CPP disability. Uh, it can take several months. Uh, so if you're in this process, uh, you know, be patient. I've heard from other clients that it is quite a long process. But at the end of the day, if you qualify and you're eligible, the CPP disability benefit will typically pay you anywhere between 1000 to an upwards of $1,400 a month uh, to mm-hmm. support you financially as you continue to be disabled. And so how does this work with most disability policies, as in the ones that you would have either through your employer or an individual plan? And it is because these disability plans take into consideration, they factor in the federally funded CPP disability plan. In fact, I suspect that they rate the premiums on these insurance plans, John, based on the fact that they expect that if you're going to be on claim for a year or more, that you're going to go ahead and apply for CPP disability as well. And the benefit to the insurance company is that they get a credit for that. So if you're, we give this example a lot, but you know, if you're getting roughly three grand a month for disability benefit from your long-term disability insurer, and then you qualify for and are approved for CPP disability, then the insurance companies get, and let's say it's a thousand bucks, then the insurance company is going to get that deduction. So all of a sudden going forward, all they're going to pay you is roughly $2,000 a month. So long as you continue to qualify for CPP disability. And so you can see that's quite significant in terms of savings for the insurance company. The other added element is, uh, you know, how does it play in in terms of tax? So some long-term disability benefits are non-taxable. So you're getting $3,000 non-taxable, but the CPP disability benefit is taxable. So you get taxed on that. And the insurance company uh, most often will usually get a gross deduction. So they will get it before the taxes. So now you're out of pocket whatever the taxable amount might be. And so we often get questions around, look, why would I apply for this? You know, it doesn't make sense. You know, why would I get less money? That all of that is absolutely true, Mm -hmm. but there are reasons why it's helpful. And so, you know, a couple of things, I think that number one, most policies will allow the disability insurer, the long-term disability insurer to take a credit or an estimate uh, for the amount of your CPP. So you might as well apply in a situation like that if the insurance company is saying to you, look, we're going to take this credit anyway. They can't force you, but it's a good idea because, you know, the test to qualify for CPP is arguably tougher to meet than it is the one that's contained in most disability policies, which is are you totally disabled from doing your own or any occupation? So if they cut you off down the road, the fact that your CPP approved is really good leverage for a lawyer like me to hang over the insurance company's head to say, look, if they qualify for this test from the government, that they've got a severe and prolonged disability, then I would expect no doubt that they would qualify for um, the test of disability under your policy as well. And so I think that's helpful. It's also helpful because you've got this additional source of income as you go. Uh, If your LTD gets cut off, right, you still get your CPP continuing. So look, I think that there's a couple of other things I want to touch on with taxability, John, and and maybe the best thing to do is pick this up after our next break. Uh, But I want to talk about a couple more things related to Dennis's email. 
Dennis, appreciate the email. It's uh, opened up a can of worms, but a helpful one. That's why we discuss them all on this show, and uh, we'll continue to do that and finish off that one after a short break, which we'll get into right now. In the meantime, reaching out, one 821 5900 help at That's the email address we use on the show every week, and we already referred to it, mydisabilityquestions.com, another resource free and anonymous built just for you anytime. Lots more Disability Law Show is on the way. Hang on. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Good to have you along again this week. John Scholes here. Tamara Gopian as well. You want to reach out to Tamara's team confidentially. You want to email help at disabilityrights.ca. Call 1-855-821-5900. That's the number. Simple, right? You can also go to disabilityrights.ca. Get the advice you need, the compensation you deserve. And deserve is the, is the word we underline here. It's not a lottery ticket or a windfall. You need to pursue these uh, these benefits and get the compensation you deserve from the firm that has successfully helped. And I mean this tens of thousands of Canadians do exactly that get results again 1-855-821-5900 but uh, lots to get through still tomorrow I know you want to finish off talking about uh, Dennis's email about CPP and why he should apply you know if he's going to get cut off anyway it's like two times zero still zero but there's there's so many benefits to doing exactly that because it's going to happen anyway right absolutely John so look you know it's interesting. Most people assume like will one affect the other. So if I get if I apply for CPP disability and I get declined, does that mean that my LCD benefits are going to get cut off? No, that does not mean the case. It's not the case at all. Uh, the disability insurer is going to make their own choices about whether or not you continue to qualify for benefits under their plan. Theoretically, regardless of whether or not you're approved for CPP disability. Having said that, and as I said before, there are a lot of benefits to being CPP approved. And I think the test is is the key element there. And so Mm. Dennis describes to us, look, you know, is this accurate? I'm sort of basically getting the same amount. Yes, it is accurate. Yes, you should be getting the same amount. I think that the added log on the fire, though, is that if if your policy is non-taxable and now you're getting CPP disability, which is taxable, you'll net-net get a little bit less because you'll be taxed on the CPP amount, whereas before you weren't getting taxed on your disability benefit at all. And so could there be a benefit here at this point? What do we do? So we get this question too, John, and I recommend for people to apply for the disability tax credit. It's yet another uh, benefit that's available that reduces your taxability if you're on disability. It can have a significant impact for those who are on disability to reduce the tax the taxes that they have to pay. And the test is very similar to the CPP test. And so, you know, and it, and it's there, and it's you get the and they, the insurance company doesn't get a credit for that tax break that you get. So you might as well go down that path as well. Get the disability tax credit. You get back some of the taxes and you hope that net net you get the same amount gross uh, Mm -hmm. between the disability benefit and the CPP disability, um, you know, that's being provided by them from the government. Now, at the end of the day, though, (laughs) you really do want to see what your policy says. Okay, so all roads do lead back to what does the disability policy actually say about what the insurance company is meant to pay you and what they get credits for, including what they do for the CPP disability because I have seen some insurance policies, John, that say we will only take 92.5% of your CPP disability amount. Very 
particular very, you know, of course, like most disability insurers, there's a very, you know, quick percentage and numbers associated yes. to it. But if that's you, you want to know that that's you, right? So that they're yep. not taking the full thousand dollars that you might be getting from uh, CPP. You might as well keep that extra hundred bucks a month or so uh, if they only get 90% of whatever it is that you're getting from CPP disability. So that that really wraps up sort of that conversation. You know, think about the disability tax credit. Think about the CPP application. And if you are cut off and you're CPP approved, please don't hesitate to give us a call. You know, situations like that usually are very helpful to hire a disability lawyer. Let's fight this with the disability insurance company. Yep. Call. Like Tamar says, we always encourage you to do so and uh, just have a conversation. one 821 You get something else you wanted to cover off the top, but we'll, uh, we'll get to it now, Tamar. What was that? Yeah, John, I wanted to talk about because we started out the show talking about an individual who had reached out to us about having COVID symptoms and, you know, the PCR testing and so on. And, you know, it came to mind something that we talked about over the last couple of years that might be helpful to remind individuals. And and that is, look, you know, we're going through yet another lockdown. Uh, I can attest to the fact that my kids are home doing online schooling as we speak. (laughs) And, you know, it's it's tough. It's been tough and it, it is tough for people. And what we have seen quite a bit is a real rise in mental health conditions and mental health conditions associated with, you know, the pandemic and the lockdowns and the uncertainty. Um, particularly impacting women. And so, you know, if I can put it out there, I really do want those who are listening who might be struggling, please don't hesitate to get the help that you need. And if your employer offers uh, disability benefits and you fit that criteria where your doctor's saying, look, I don't think you should be working because of your mental health, that is what disability benefits are there for, John. I want people to not shy away from pursuing the disability benefits if they are being supported by their doctor that they should not be working right. in circumstances like this. So look, you know, let's hope this lockdown does not last forever. Uh, but by the same token, it is expected that there are going to be there's people are going to react, you know, differently and that they're going to have a hard time with the situation. That is what you are you know, medical services are there for, and that is what disability benefits are meant to do. I want to get on to a, a question, you know, for our listeners tomorrow who are expected to be off work for only, I don't know, a few months because of their health. And, and they hear you and the team talk about so many claims being declined because this is what insurance companies do. That's how they, they keep their, uh, their coffers full, right? Does it make sense to even apply for these benefits? I know people get frustrated and defeated, so they're asking you that question, right? They are, John, they are. And and again, it ties into what I was just talking about. Even if it's mm-hmm. just a few months, don't, don't shy away. You, you're oftentimes paying premiums for these benefits anyway. So you might right. as well access them, right? If you have the support of your doctor. I know it seems overwhelming. I, I know it can be. And we've got lots of resources in terms of um, things you can access. I'm sure John will reference our, you know, our websites and all these other things. But at yep. the end of the day, what you need to remember is that these disability policies are called by the courts, by everybody knows, they are supposed to be peace of mind policies. That's what they're actually supposed to be, peace of mind, so that you've got income supporting you during a time where you need to focus on your health. And so nothing worse can be done if you are off work, not working, and not getting the compensation that you're entitled to when you've paid premiums for a policy that you have. So you might as well access it, even if it's a short-term period of time. Because here's the other part of it. I have seen more often than I care to admit that sometimes people are surprised how long their disability claim will persist. And so you might think, and your doctor might think at first that it's only gonna be a few months, 
but it may then be a much longer period of time. And the tough part with these disability policies is that they have a time frame in which you're meant to apply and Mm -hmm. put your application forward to get these benefits. And what I don't want to see happen is people lose that time frame. Because I can tell you, if you're out of time, the insurance company is going to tell you, you are out of time and we're not going to consider your claim because you're out of time. Now, there are ways to, to talk our way around that. There are legal claims that can be brought related to that. But without having to resort to that, if you're listening to the show and thinking, gosh, you know, I think my doctor's recommending a few months off, not sure what to do, please do pursue that disability claim because you may start in the short-term disability part of the policy or phase of the claim. And then within four to six months, you might be transitioning to long-term disability and you want to make sure you're getting those applications in so that the insurance company is not using technical reasons to you know, decline your claim, which is otherwise valid and should be paid. Kind of goes along with the next email we got. Again, it's help at disabilityrights.ca from Jordana. It says, hey, Tamara, I've been on LTD for a year now. Why would my insurance company send someone from an outside company to my house for a house visit? Should I be worried? That would be scary if if you're on disability. That would scare me too. I know. I know, Jean, especially with what's happening with COVID and everything else. You hope people are taking safety measures. No, I understand that. And look, Jordan, I, I really appreciate you reaching out. And I think what concerns me most is that she doesn't understand why someone is being sent to her home. I want to understand why. Um, And you should too. So Jordana, please do ask your case manager, case adjuster, whoever you're dealing with at the insurance company to explain to you why exactly it is that they are sending this person to your home. How long is it going to be? Who's coming? When? Uh, What are they going to be looking at? Are they going to do any physical testing? Are they taking pictures? Like what are, what are they doing? I can tell you to provide some context typically these kinds of in-home assessments will be tied to a physical disability and trying to identify what kind of rehab needs someone may have who is on disability that's usually the context in which someone is being sent to your home to be assessing your home so in other words if you've got a physical disability that perhaps you know gives you a hard time in terms of getting up and down stairs or you need other accessibility or some mobility devices you know, sometimes the insurance company will do that as part of a like an occupational therapy assessment. And so mm-hmm. they'll initially come and meet you at your home, hope that that will be actually easier for you than going to a clinic. And they can then assess your home environment and see what it is that you need. Um, you know, I think what's tough about it, is, and I think that's a fair fear to have is what other observations is this person going to make? So are they going to be looking around to see how messy my home is or how, you know, yes, those are fair concerns to have. Um, So I think that's why number one, you want to really understand what's being assessed and observed, why it's being done, what you can expect, and then always, always make your own record of what happened, right? So after the individual leaves, you know, you want to make sure that you've like jotted something down, you know, what was asked, you know, how long it took, you know, what, you know, perhaps if they did any assessments like physical assessments, you want to, you know, write down how you felt afterwards. And you might just want to have a buddy, a friend, a family member present as well, right? So that you're not alone in your home when this assessment is occurring. Uh, Usually having someone else there, you know, will ease that comfort. And if it's done right and appropriately and it's within the right time frame, then I think there's generally, you know, not much to fear. But you do really want to get that context from the insurance company as to what it is, as, as to why this is being done. And then 
the follow-up, of course, to that is you want to understand what conclusions were drawn from that assessment, right? So if someone's come into your home, you know, typically they'll prepare a report for the insurance company. I don't want to see that report, right? I want to get a copy of that or maybe get a copy of that sent to your own treatment providers. Maybe you've got your own physiotherapist or doctor and you can review that with them. Because if the insurance company is going to rely on that assessment for something that's going to impact your disability claim, you want to know about it and you want to make sure your own medical team is involved in addressing it and responding to it or perhaps even implementing things that are suggested to your own benefit, right? So that you can have a better recovery and hopefully um, deal with your disability appropriately. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And I was going to mention that this is something you should probably send off to your doctor. Now, you said after the assessment, if you jot, jot down some basic notes, they don't have to be word for word, but some contemporary uh, contemporaneous notes. Is that something you should often send off to your adjuster saying just to just to follow up on what happened today, this, this, this and this just to, you know, just to be safe? Is that something you should send the adjuster? Yeah, I mean, I can tell, John, you talk to us about these things a lot, right? And so, yes, absolutely. So look, contemporaneous, what does that mean? That means pretty close in time, right? So we, we want you to be able to, re- you're not going to remember something six months down the road or a year right. down the road, potentially, if things are not flowing in the way that it is expected, or potentially there's a legal claim on the horizon. It's not to say it happens in every situation, but this is why when you're in that process with uh, the disability insurer and you're having these assessments, by all means, having a, your own record of what's happened or what is happening is absolutely very, very helpful. Does not have to be word for word, does not have to be, you know, every, absolutely everything that happened, but certainly a couple of points uh, are helpful for sure. And then if it's something that you think that the adjuster should know, or you want to confirm something with the adjuster, then by all means, you should initiate that in writing. So I cannot say this enough. You know, having a phone call conversation with your adjuster is not really going to uh, bear a lot of fruit. The adjuster may or may not take their own notes of what happened in that call, but then you have no record of what was said and what was communicated. Doing a quick email as a follow-up just to say, I confirm that we talked about this, or I confirm the assessment went ahead and this is what happened, and now I feel terrible because the person stretched me and did all these exercises that they shouldn't have, whatever, whatever the case might be. Uh, you know, you want to protect yourself and want to make sure that you've got your own record of what's transpired so that you can then uh, rely upon it down the road if need be, if need be, if the insurance company takes the unfortunate decision to cut off your claim prematurely. More questions, more emails on the way. I want to send one along as we get into a, a quick break here. Easy. Help at disabilityrights.ca. If you just go to disabilityrights.ca, the website, you'll find links on the media page to our long-running TV show as well. So you can check that at uh, check that at your leisure. And then there's also mydisabilityquestions.com. Free service, anonymous service for you to leave your questions there and get them answered by Tamar or a member of her crew. So check it out, mydisabilityquestions.com. Lots more to go. Disability Law Show. Hang on. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And welcome back to Disability Law Show. Thanks for hanging in 2022. We're, uh, we're rolling into this sucker just like we did last year with tons of information for you and always a way to reach out to Tamar and her team. The phone call might be the easiest for you, one 855 
800-821-5900. No charge. Just go there, have a uh, a conversation with Tamar, a member of her team, and get some information. Emails good help at disabilityrights.ca. And there's also mydisabilityquestions.com as well. Um, we mentioned people coming to the house and, and checking things out, maybe for a visit when you're uh, when you're off an LTD. How about this one? Is is there a limit to how many assessments the insurance company can make you go to, especially now? It might be an online visit. It might be someone you have to travel to for a little bit. But uh, is there a threshold for that tomorrow? Well, look, I mean, again, all roads lead back to the disability policy. And most of them don't really mm-hmm. even talk about these kinds of assessments, John. So, you know, it's it's kind of the the judgment of the adjudicator or the adjudication that says, okay, look, we think this person should be assessed again, more than once, for example. I don't usually see these kinds of assessments more than once. Um, And again, let's clarify what those assessments look like. So there's really two different things that the insurance companies usually do when you are on claim with the insurance company. So in other words, when you're still getting your disability benefit, you know, what can the insurance company do in terms of getting you assessed by one of their own doctors? So there's two things they usually do. One is usually a rehabilitation type assessment. So in other words, they will send you to a clinic, uh, usually for a physical disability to test your function and your uh, you know, physical limits as to let's say lifting or bending or crouching, these are the kinds of things. And it's usually yes. done, yes, at a clinic, yes, paid for by the insurance company. They will set it up. And the purpose of those kinds of assessments are to either set up some kind of uh, rehabilitation plan for you. So in other words, we think you need, you know, three OT sessions and two physiotherapy sessions, and we think you should go twice a week instead of once a week and so on and so forth. They'll set up a plan based on that initial assessment. Uh, and they may or may not fund that, that treatment, by the way. Uh, sometimes they'll ask you to pay for it, actually. Um, look, at the end of the day, I much prefer to see individuals going to their own treatment providers. But, you know, the insurance companies will say, look, we have all these resources. You know, we can send you. We will pay for it. It, it can be tempting. And in some cases, that, that can actually be quite helpful because there are people who are still struggling to access treatment. So, you know, use your caution there. But that is one of the main ways that an insurance company will do an assessment is to hopefully then put some kind of rehabilitation plan in place that ideally will help you to recover. The other type of assessment, though, is what's called an independent medical assessment or an IME, independent medical examination. Those are a little bit different, John. And those are, and again, you're right, it can be done virtually. The physical ones, not so much, but the mental health ones can be done virtually. They are usually done with with a doctor or a specialist. So I've seen neuropsychologists, neuropsychiatrists, uh, obviously psychiatrists, obviously, you know, other types of specialists. Uh, But these kinds of reports are not for treatment. They are meant to give the insurance company an opinion after this doctor meets with you and speaks with you on whether or not you continue to meet the test of total disability under the disability policy. And bear in mind, the insurance company will pay handsomely for these reports. They will not be paying for them unless they think that they are going to get an opinion that's actually going to help them ultimately cut cut off your claim. Okay, so, you know, there's a lot of information available to individuals who might have uh, might be having to go to an IME on our website. Um, we've got a, a memo that's really, really helpful on four or five things that you should do or you should know before you attend your IME. 
Uh, and you should really be prepared that you want to be upfront and forthright with the assessor, the doctor, whoever it is who is doing this assessment. And if there are any inaccuracies, you want to make sure that you call the insurance company out on that and make sure that you've got your own medical team who's prepared to provide a potential rebuttal to whatever it is this doctor has concluded about your ability to work. But those are the, really the two main ways that I see assessments. And, and it could be that in the same claim that you have a rehab assessment and an IME assessment, those two can happen for the same person. But oftentimes I don't see more than that. That would be unusual. Having said all of that, you're going to ask me, you should ask me, what happens if I start a legal claim tomorrow? Am I going to get a bunch of assessments again by the insurance company? In the legal claim context, it's a little bit different because we've got rules of civil procedure that guide what you can do in the context of litigation or a context of a legal claim. Yes, the insurance company, as the defendant of a legal claim, would have a right to an examination and an examination done by a doctor. They can have their own experts assess you but there are limits to those assessments. In other words, generally speaking, most courts will not allow more than one specialist to assess you at a time. So in other words, doc, the insurance company can't ask two different psychiatrists to assess you unless they get special permission from the court to do so. They also usually cannot get more than three specialists. So I don't know, a family doctor, an orthopedic surgeon, and a psychiatrist. I'm just putting it out there, John, just to give examples that usually mm -hmm. the range is between one or three or none at all for disability insurers. Because I can tell you, again, if it impacts their bottom line, they're only going to go down that road to do it if they think it's going to help shorten the claim or help shore, out, shore up their defense in the legal context. So I don't see it very often. And sometimes I find that even when they do these assessments, they're actually helpful to my claimants. So bear all of that in mind that if you've been assessed more than once and you're sort of thinking, ah, oh, I don't know if this is right, you know, maybe I want to find out whether I'm, you know, the insurance company is supposed to do more or should I be submitting myself to more assessments? You want to check in with us uh, because once it starts to get, you know, more than two, uh, maybe there's something going on there and you may not necessarily be required to submit to yet a further assessment and a further assessment if it's not reasonable and your doctors are saying perhaps it's doing more harm than good. We'll take a you know we'll take a short break now. Give us some more time on the on the bottom end of the uh, the last segment. So let's get into that because we have more emails and questions coming. So uh, so let's do that. In the meantime, the number to get a hold of Tamar and her team one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That is the way. The email address we use help at disabilityrights.ca. Sam Firu Tamar and LLP, where Tamar is a partner, the most positively reviewed disability law firm in the land. They have helped tens of thousands of people. So uh, do yourself a favor, simply make a phone call have a chat and uh, see where you stand in that regard more of the disability law show is on the way we're coming right back hang on you are listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of global news radio 640 toronto all right, welcome back, Disability Law Show. Let's uh, let's take it home tomorrow. You want to reach out to tomorrow anytime. Here's the phone number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address. And by the way, you have questions and there's facts about uh, LTD, LTD FAQ. 
ca. It's exactly how it sounds. Frequently asked questions. LTDFAQ.ca. And uh, go from there. Okay, tomorrow, next email. Uh, again, help at disabilityrights.ca. And not just during the show, anytime you want, you can use that. Ellen writes in says, hey, tomorrow is recently diagnosed with kidney disease. At what point can I go on short-term disability? Good question, Ellen. Good question. So the point is really to be decided by your doctor and you, right? I mean, I think that... Um, you know, the condition in and of itself, you know, if it's impacting your ability to work, if you're having limitations functionally in your ability to work, depending on what your job is, then that should not have, you know, you shouldn't hesitate to start that disability claim process. And really what it comes down to is, you know, will you meet the test of total disability? What is that? Well, usually for short-term disability, it's actually quite similar to long-term disability. And that initial phase is, are you totally disabled from performing the essential duties of your own occupation? So in other words, what's the job that you're doing? Uh, What are the essential duties of that job? If your health is preventing you from doing the majority of those duties, then you will meet the test of total disability and should qualify for benefits. I'm simplifying it here, John, because we know that usually there's a lot more going on. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, if the kidney disease in and of itself is causing f- limitations like fatigue, for example, nausea, I'm not that familiar with kidney disease necessarily. I think there's a couple of different ways that it can exhibit itself. Um, if it's requiring you to have, you know, I don't know, dialysis, for example, um, you know, multiple times a week, uh, whatever the treatment plan is, then you should not hesitate to initiate that disability claim by all means. Usually the disability benefits will kick in, at least short-term disability, within about a week of your work stoppage. So you stop work. um, There's usually a waiting period where you don't get compensation for that initial week. Sometimes it's five days, whatever it is. And then the short-term disability benefits will kick in. Uh, You will need to submit application material. That will usually require you to do a statement yourself. Uh, It's called a plan plan member statement or employee statement something like that and a and a document from that your doctor has to fill out uh it's called an attending physician statement or doctor's statement uh and both of you both yourself and your doctor will need to confirm the date upon which you became disabled and not able to work due to your health and i can't emphasize this enough you want to be consistent about that date you want that date to be consistent with the doctor's records and their advice about when you should stop working. And you want to make sure that your doctor is being very comprehensive about what they are putting down in those forms on what is preventing you from working. Because just putting down kidney disease is is not going to be enough for the disability insurer. They want to know exactly how that condition is impacting you day to day. And the devil really is in the details. Like, don't hesitate to put you know, I can spend half the day in bed um, one day and the next day I'm okay for two hours. Then I need to take pain medication. Then I need, you know, those details are very, very important and very, very relevant when you're making a disability claim. And by the way, that goes for short-term or long-term, regardless of when you're initiating the process, you want to make sure that information is very, very comprehensive and very focused on function because that is what the disability insurer is looking at. It's not necessarily, it's funny, John, they'll say, well, you don't have enough symptoms, so you're not disabled enough. Oh, well, you don't have a disease or a diagnosis, so you're not disabled enough. They'll right. find reasons, John. They're, they're going to find reasons no matter what. All you can do is submit as comprehensive information as you can out of the gates and hope that they make the right choices uh, based on the information that you've provided. And if they don't, you know who you're going to call 
We're happy to talk to people in any stage of their disability claim. If you're just applied, just approved, but you're not sure what to expect, please don't hesitate. Our consults are completely free. But just to go back to Ellen's question, I think, you know, you also want to understand from your employer what you have available in terms of benefits. So I've already talked about the two forms that you'll have to do, the one that Mm -hmm. you do yourself and the one from your doctor. There's actually a third form that's required for the disability insurer to actually start looking at your claim. And that one comes from your employer. So you want to make sure that you're actually telling your employer, look, um, you know, my health is preventing me from working right now. My doctor's putting me off work. I'm going to start the process. The employer should be providing you with the forms, actually, and they have to submit their own form directly to the insurance company because that's the, the form the employer submits, actually, John, will confirm that you've, you're employed for how long, the job that you're doing, and that you have coverage, right? You want to make sure that you're insured and you have coverage. And so some short-term disability plans are covered by like a disability insurer, like the ones we talk about on the show. Some employers have like a, an administrator, uh, a third-party company that administers these disability claims for them, makes a decision, and based on that decision, the employer will either pay you or not pay you your income during the time of the short-term disability. So you want to understand, do I have coverage? Who do I have coverage with? Do I have to make an insurance claim through to a diff- different adjuster or claim person? Mm-hmm. You don't. You want to know where it's going to go, and it's really it all roads lead back to the employer to give you that guidance, and of course to let you know. Look, you're going to be covered at a hundred percent, or seventy five percent, or sixty percent. You want to know how much to expect, right? And so, some short term disability plans will cover you at a hundred percent for a number of weeks. Others will only pay you a portion, like a seventy percent of of your salary. So, you want to understand all of that too. And like I said earlier in the show, you also want to know, I mean, if this is going to go on for more than 17 or 26 weeks, so more than four or six months, then you should be transitioning to long-term. And if it's a different company, you're going to have to start the application process all over again. So your employer is the first place to start. The other good place, obviously, is to go on the insurance company's website. They usually have all those forms available, and you can take those to your doctor and have them filled out and submitted so you can start your application process. Only about a minute, minute and a half to go. Tomorrow, any final yeah. words on uh, people as they, you know, we're into, you know, year two, moving on to year three of COVID and all this stuff. There's still lots of trepidation and people still feeling a little bit unsure about, uh, you know, reaching out to the to you guys or, or their long-term disability insurer if they have issues. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it's it's a novel situation we're dealing with as a society, but mm-hmm. I, the the disability part of it is not new, John, and and so I can't emphasize this enough. It's the same process. The insurance companies are taking the same approach to some extent, in that they will cut off claims, they will pers- you know, they'll make sure that you've got appropriate treatment. They will do what they can if they're you know if they don't want to continue paying your benefit because that's how they make profits. So if you're not sure as to whether where you fit into that scenario, whether you think you've got a basis for a legal claim, whether your claim is related to COVID or not, please don't hesitate to reach out. We're happy to talk it through with individuals and make an individual assessment of your situation in that context and give you the best advice that we can moving forward. And that'll do it for a uh, for another show. Appreciate all your correspondence taking the time to write in some emails on the show today. We uh, we love having you on the show, and you want to reach out further to Tamar, that would be uh, no problem. Here is that phone number if you want to be a little more private and con- confidential and lengthy in your conversation, 1-855-821-5900. That email address we always go to, help at 
disabilityrights.ca and another avenue for you to pursue with questions and get some answers completely free and anonymous mydisabilityquestions.com again mydisabilityquestions.com and we'll catch you next time on the disability law show the preceding was a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of global news radio 640 toronto